Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning um, and that you are choosing to worship with us. And uh, we have just an expectancy of the Holy Spirit moving among us. And what we love is that our Heavenly Father loves us deeply. And it's not just that He wants us to know about Him. He wants us to know Him and experience Him and know His goodness, know His delight over us. And so this morning as we come together, that is what our hope and our desire is for you. And um, if you're able, stand with us together. We're going to worship Jesus because He's worthy. We're going to set aside all the distractions and, you know, all the things of the week. And we are going to turn our affection towards Him because He is worthy. And it's amazing when we have our eyes fixed on Him, the Creator of all things. It's amazing how my circumstances, circumstances begin to diminish because of who He is. And so this morning, will you just extend your hearts and your affection and your love to Him because He is worthy. So, Father, we just come in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. It is a name that has been placed above every other name. Jesus, you were so worthy this morning, and we turn every affection towards you. Our hearts and our eyes, they are fixed, and we gaze upon you and your beauty this morning in this place, in this building, Lord. And God, I just thank you that this morning you said that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come and make Jesus and the Father real. Reveal who he is. Reveal his kindness. Reveal his goodness. Reveal his love for us, Lord. Thank you, God, that you have placed in every person a measure of faith, God. You love us so much, and you want us to respond to you so much, God, that you actually put a measure of faith in us so that we could know you and know you for real who you are. So this morning, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you to tell us everything about Jesus. You are comforter. You are counselor. You are the one who speaks and leads. Thank you, Father, that you are not a dumb idol. You are not a mute. You speak to us, Lord. You long to communicate. Every living thing communicates. And this morning, we live and breathe and move and have our being in you. So Holy Spirit, breathe life into our spirit this morning and confirm with us that we are sons and daughters, that our spirit bears witness with your spirit how deeply loved we are. It's in your great name, Jesus, that we pray and we worship this morning. Amen. Let's worship together.
praise God. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you are more than enough. Lord, whatever circumstancing we are facing, Lord, you are more than enough. God, I just love just this picture. It's like not just barely enough and just scraping and smidging by. But Lord, you are more than enough. Lord, I thank you that everything in life that we need, God, you have provided. So Lord, thank you for your great kindness towards us and your great love. Amen. Amen. We're going to get ready. We're going to do communion together this morning. And um, one of the things that I love about this song is that before we ever needed a Savior, there was a plan in place to provide what was needed for us to be restored to the heart of the Father. And so this morning, as we get ready, um, the communion table that we eat from today was kind of like the beginning, or it was kind of like a completion, not a beginning, it was a completion and a fulfillment of the plan for you and I to be restored to the heart of the Father. And in the Passover meal, families would gather around once a year, and they would come, and there would be the, um, there would be the shedding of blood, there would be the sacrifices that were made that would kind of remove sin, that would roll it back, until the next year of when we would do a, a Passover meal again. And the Passover meal was so significant because it was the remembrance and the proclamation of how God had delivered the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And there is a completion and a fulfillment in the communion that we take of today because of Jesus dying on the cross shedding his blood, his body being broken, and everything that we need to live and have life today has been fulfilled in Jesus. So every sin that you have ever done, every time you've missed the mark, every time you've messed up, every time you've failed, every time you did it again, and the next time you did it and you didn't want to, all of that was taken and was absorbed in the body of Jesus on the cross. Every mess up, every sin, past, present, and future. Even when you don't even know how you're going to mess up next time, that's been taken care of as well. Because his blood is more than enough to make you righteous and clean and pure and holy and presentable to the Father. The blood of Jesus. His body, the Bible says that his body was broken and um, oftentimes in Scripture, we have misinterpreted that many are sick among you because you don't discern the body of Jesus. That's because we don't understand in its fullness and its entirety that his body was broken so that ours could be made whole. I'm going to say that again. His body was broken so that ours could be made whole. We were redeemed from the curse of sickness and disease. Jesus bore that curse in his body. So this morning, your body can be healed and whole. And that's what we trust the Lord for. We trust for the fullness of the completion and the fulfillment of Jesus' blood and his body being broken. And so this morning, what I love when they did Passover meal, it was families together in homes gathered around they were eating the unleavened bread. They were eating the bitter herbs. They were remembering 
what God had done for them. So this morning, we welcome families to partake of the table that's been laid before us. In Jewish tradition, it was very common that the youngest person in the room would actually be prompted to actually ask questions of like, why are we celebrating this meal? What does it mean? What's the purpose and the meaning behind it? So at DCF, we welcome children to partake of this table. We know that parents, you you can decide that, but I would want my children to know why are we celebrating this? What was it for? What did it mean? You know, and take that into its fullness to lead them and to train them and for them to know. So this morning, we're just going to ask that you kind of make your way to the front. You can come down the center, get your um, elements, go back around, and you can, rather than this time, go into your seat and just doing communion by yourself. Why don't you welcome the person next to you to belong in the family and have communion with them? Gather someone around you because everyone, because of the blood of Jesus, everyone is welcome to his table. Everyone. So this morning, you can just make your way and kind of go to the outer sides, get your communion elements, and come back around. And then we're going to do communion together. I love how there's the groups of families together, kind of around one another, gathered around. Um, I love that the Bible says in Psalm 68, 6, that he places and he sets the lonely in families. So this morning, if you're lonely, if you feel like I've been trying to journey and do life by myself and on my own, can I just say welcome to a family that you can belong in and um, you can journey with us and we'll journey with you because life is a journey together. So um, when Jesus was at the Last Supper with his disciples sitting around the table with him, he broke bread And he said, take and eat. This is my body. It was broken for you. And so this morning, would you just take your wafer in remembrance of Jesus' body being broken and just break it and partake of his body being broken for you. We remember what he did on the cross for us. There's a little seal on the top to get the wafer if you're struggling and then being able to pull it open and get the, the juice. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. He said, this is my blood in the new covenant. There was a new covenant that was cut for you and I. It far outstrips and was far superior to the blood of goats and bulls and birds and doves and sacrifices. His was a sacrifice once for all that ever lives to make us right with the Father and to cleanse us from every unrighteous deed that we have ever done. I don't know about you guys, but I've done some unrighteous things in my lifetime, and I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus because it makes me clean, and his blood is enough for you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your new covenant that was cut for us by your sacrifice and your blood. Amen. Let's take the wand, the juice together. Amen. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. Amen. Amen. Um, I have like something special that I want to share just real quick. I want to welcome two beautiful new little ones 
Um, we have Elliot, and um, we are so glad to have him. It is Larry and Susan's little grandbaby. He is a, he is a living miracle. Literally, he's a living miracle. And um, we have beautiful Esther Rose Zimmerman, and Tim and Christina are going to have um, her as their legally adopted baby. And so we are excited to welcome them and just love on them. So, And Silas is still not here yet. So just in case y'all were wondering, so that he will be here probably this week. So we're excited. We love new life and new babies and young families in this house. So, um, so we just want to make sure if you're new with us this morning, please go to dothancf.com, do a connection card and let us know that you're here. We'd love to hear your story, how you can be a part of our story, how they intertwine and come together really to be a part of the story and the purpose and the plan that God has for us as a community and a body together. And someone from our leadership team would be in touch with you and um, just kind of connect a little bit. Uh, If you have got a testimony, we love testimonies in this house, of what the Lord's goodness is. Because it's a revelation of his character and his nature to you. But it becomes this invitation prophetically to others into that character and nature of God. When his goodness is revealed among us, it builds faith for one another when we find ourselves in a struggle. But it's like, man, this is who God was for them. God, would you be that for me too? Because all of you are his favorite. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, they're my favorite. Dave and I do it all the time. We just say, oh, you're our favorite. Don't tell anybody else. So just don't tell anyone else. But all of you in the capacity of God's heart are his favorites. And so this morning, we want to be able to know, God, if you did that for them, would you do that for me? And summer connections, y'all, there's lots of them on the website Check them out. It's got all the details there. We've got lots of things to be doing this summer. Um, Our next big event is going to be like we've got pool parties. There's Water World. But our next big event that you want to plan for and make sure that you're ready to go is going to be at Blue Springs Park. And it is going to be on the 24th of June. Check out the website for all the details and let people know that you're going. That is going to be led by Sawyer's Adventures. Travis and Marcy are going to be taking us all out to Blue Springs and kayaking and hanging out for the day. Uh, You can hang out by the water, you can go to the springs, you can do that, or you can go kayaking. So there's plenty to do. It's a very family-oriented park. So you want to make sure that you get there early um, rather than late. So, um, But just look at all the details on the website. Thanks so much for giving um, in this house. There's two ways to give. You can give in person in the box, or you can give online, which is a preference. And we're thankful for y'all doing that. And this morning, we're going to dismiss our youth and our kids And we're going to be right back just with a message. So thanks, guys. We appreciate y'all very much. All right. Good morning, everybody. We have uh, started a series about three, four weeks, three weeks ago. I think this is the fourth week now. Started a series called Empowered, uh, talking about life in the spirit. Um, I have several observations over the last 30-something years of being in ministry Uh, I got saved into what we would call the power camp. I got saved into a Pentecostal church. Um, It was overseas, so the culture of the church wasn't exactly like what you see here in a lot of ways uh, because they had to make a lot of room for all kinds of different people, different backgrounds. And so um, the pastor was from a Pentecostal church, but the church was a lot more kind of varied, had uh, all kinds of people from all kinds of different faith. But what was amazing was we experienced the supernatural 
um, as normal. It was just a normal encounter. You know, our encounters with the Holy Spirit were just absolutely normal. I mean, it wasn't normal at first. I remember the first time I heard somebody speak in tongues, I thought they were speaking in Spanish because I grew up in Alabama and, you know, the only other uh, language I ever heard was Spanish and I heard that on TV. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even have any friends who were Hispanic and nothing. So that's just my experience. And so I just assumed, I'm like, oh, that's nice. They're giving a testimony in Spanish. How sweet is that? That's wonderful. And then the guy got up and, you know, there was power in, in the words and then when the guy interpreted that, it, it was even more powerful, but it was, it was something that was a revelation. It wasn't just words. There was power connected to it. So here, but here's my observation. Um, in the power camp, we saw a lot of what we would call excess. People would go too far. Um, nobody ever questioned something from the Spirit because a lot of people didn't know what the Holy Spirit was like or who he was or how he operated. And sometimes the leaders were not exactly sure themselves. And so people would do crazy things and go, that's just the Spirit. It's like, well, maybe, but probably not God's Spirit because he's not going to do stupid stuff like that, right? <laughs> and by that, I mean it was often immature, selfish. It was, it was really the picture of the First Corinthian church where Paul had to address them and say, hey, I love that you're moving in the gifts of the Spirit, but you're doing it wrong. So let's not throw away the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's actually learn how to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit and operate accordingly. And so he gives some instruction in what that looks like. It's really interesting. Um, but so often what my, one of my observations has been, people would say, I would rather be in a cessationist church that really emphasize, you know, we call the, the difference between the power camp and the wisdom camp, um, that people would ra rather be in a wisdom camp type of church that was really strong in the word, but maybe void of the supernatural. Um, they would rather be in that than a, a, uh, sorry, a power church that maybe had some excess. Like if you had to pick, a lot of people would like, I'd rather pick this. And, and for obvious reasons, it's safer, it's not as messy. Uh, you know, you can bring your friends without potential embarrassment. You know, I remember taking my friends to, to our church in, uh, in England, and I, always, I was always worried that somebody was going to give a message in tongues, right? And I was like, oh, man, I hope nobody gives a message in tongues because that's going to be hard to explain because I can explain everything else, right? I'm like, somebody prophesies. They're like, what was that? I was like, oh, it was testimony. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and what was sad was I read later on in Scripture that tongues were actually assigned to the unbeliever. Like literally, I should have been praying, God, move in power through a message in tongues. Because when you do that, I can't explain that away. Right? It's kind of the point of a message in tongues is good luck explaining that away. You can't do it. And so the, the, you know, the Acts chapter 2, when the, when the tongues in, came out and they were uh, praising God in different languages that they had never learned, um, Peter gets up and he says, hey, this demonstration, this thing that's so weird and so challenging is actually not because there are a bunch of drunk people doing weird things. This is actually what God promised, and this is how he works. And who knew? It's not like you, <laughs> right? And I've said this many times, God is altogether not like you, is what one of the Psalms says. He's not like you. He's different than you. You can be like him, but he's not going to be like you. That's the wrong way around. Does that make sense? And so my observation was people would rather be in a wisdom camp oftentimes because it felt safer, uh, you don't have to worry about a mess or whatever, than, than walking into a power camp type church where potentially there's, um, you know, supernatural things that happen or people have encounters or weird experiences that are difficult to explain. Um, and what I've discovered is that, that at some point you just have to get past all that, that foolishness. Um, if you are going to be in a power camp type environment, um, it turns out when people touch power for the first time, it's surprising. <laughs> I, I don't know. You ever been uh, shocked? Like you ever grab hold of a live wire and you're like, you know, you don't grab that and go, oh, that's interesting, do you? 
It's not what you do. You go, ah, and you have an encounter, right? And everybody around you goes, what happened? And I'm like, uh, come over here and touch this, and you'll find exactly what happened, right? How do you explain that to somebody? It's like, oh, you know, this seemingly innocuous thing jolted me, right? And I remember working with um, an electrician um, at one point doing some side jobs, helping him out. He would actually get shocked, and his encounter with electricity was different than mine because he had been shocked many, 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 many times, right? I'm like surprised his heart was still working. But <laughs> and if it wasn't, he can just touch one of those and start up again. So, but, but it wasn't that he didn't encounter it the same way I did or didn't experience the same thing that I was experiencing. It was his, um, his reaction to it that was different, right? And so what I've discovered is um, you can have a mature response when the Holy Spirit ministers and touches your life, or you can have an, a, a, an immature response. But the response isn't the Holy Spirit. The response is you. <laughs> and so, honestly, sometimes a mature response is you are overwhelmed. Maybe you cry out, or maybe you fall over. Maybe you worship. Maybe you're in tears. Maybe you have an incredibly emotional encounter. And we say, well, that's an immature response, and it's not. Biblically, those kind of responses can be totally mature. An, ir- an immature response to the Holy Spirit is going to be things that are against the nature and the character of God. So that's why Paul went after them about the gifts in 1 Corinthians, about how when he spoke to them, the challenge was that they were, they were doing the gifts in selfish ways, right? They were eating communion in selfish ways. Like, if you notice, we kind of challenged everybody to wait and, and all take communion together. Well, in, in the early days of the church, they would gather together for meals and they would do a meal, and then they would also do communion. And what would happen is people would get, they would literally get drunk. <laughs> they would eat all the food. Wealthy people were, were not, you know, were taking advantage of, of, of people who didn't have any money. And it was, basically, it was no different than the world. And Paul went after him. He said, listen, um, when you talk about the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we don't want to throw away what God is doing. And he's different than you, so you're going to have to learn this. It's, he's not, it's not like business as usual. If you think that's what the church is like and the kingdom's like, then you don't understand the kingdom. But at the same time, you can't do the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit without the nature and the character of the Holy Spirit, who's God. So, so that was the big observation I noticed, is so often people were afraid of the things of the Spirit, maybe not because they were anti, but in, in truth, what they really were, they were apathetic. So often they're like, uh, you know, it's like, meh, gifts of the Holy Spirit, meh. And the only way you can do that is to not understand the value of it. That would be like, have you ever tried to give a child um, like a, a, a dollar bill? They're like, oh, I'm so rich, right? And you're just, you are so not rich, let me just tell you. But if you gave them a hundred dollar bill, oh, exact same expression, right? In other words, they have no clue what money is or what the value of it. They don't understand the denomination of it, right? They don't understand the value. And that's also true of us with the things of the Spirit. So often, the problem isn't people are anti-Holy Spirit. It's they're literally apathetic and they don't understand the value. And so we talked about, you know, one of the scriptures we, we shared early on was John 16, 7. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And so Jesus, Jesus was saying, what was so amazing about his ministry on earth, he was moving in signs and wonders, and he was representing the Father on earth. That's what Hebrews says. That you, heard him, you heard God was represented in different ways in various times, but in these last days, he's represented, he's made himself known through his Son. Right? So you want to know what the Father's like? Look at Jesus. Right? You, know, you want to know what Jesus is like? And we're going to read this scripture in a minute. Then learn the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> right? And so there's this interesting correlation in how they point back to one another in the Trinity. You know, and again, I'm not going to go down the, the Trinity road because that's a series all in itself. But the point is, it's, it's one God, one spirit, the Bible says, right? He's not different. He's not a bunch of different things. He's one, he's one person represented in three realities, right? So when we, when we say, I love the Holy Spirit, I'm saying I love Jesus or I love the Father. But what we discover is they operated, and we talked about this last week, they operated in different ways in different seasons. The Father, from Genesis all the way up through the gospel, the early parts of the gospel, you see the Father is represented almost always talking about the Father. Sometimes, um, sometimes you saw the Holy Spirit moving on prophets. He would come and there was a visitation, but not a habitation. He would visit, but he wouldn't stay. Right? He would move in people's lives. And then you see Jesus come on the scene, and now there's a dispensation or the age of the Son of God. For three years, he's operating in power in the earth, and he's doing it, we've talked about over this series, he's doing it not in his own strength as the Son of God, but he's doing it as a perfect represent, representation of a man fully submitted to the will of the Father, operating through the Spirit of God. And we said that, and the reason why that's so important is because if not, then Jesus cheated. And he's asking you to do, he said, you're going to do the same things that I did and greater things. Not more. That would make sense, right? Because there's more of us as, as believers. But he said greater things. So what's greater than raising somebody from the dead or healing the sick or, you know, leprosy or casting out demons? What's greater? I don't know. But he said, you're going to do greater things, Right? So all this to say that the Holy Spirit wants to move in and among us, and he, he, wants to, uh, he wants to be on us, and old, the Old Testament talked about how the Holy Spirit would be on us, and then the, the age of Jesus comes, and he's representing himself, and he's showing what man could be like, fully submitted to God, and then the Bible says at the end of his ministry, he said, now I have to go away because there's a new dispensation or a new age coming. So there was the age of the Father in the Old Testament. There's age of the Son in the Gospels. And from the, from the last part of the Gospels all the way through into where we are now and to, you know, until this age is all done, the Bible says this is the age of the Holy Spirit operating in his church through you and I. Or not. <laughs> he wants to. That doesn't mean that he always does. So uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty four. when I was talking about the power of the camp or the... Or the uh, the wisdom camp, so often we want to choose between the two of them. 1 Corinthians one twenty four says that, he, that when Jesus came and represented himself, this is what it says, but to those who are called, to you and I as believers, both Jews and Greeks, so it doesn't matter where you come from, your culture, he says that Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. In other words, Jesus wants to be represented not just in, in character and in words, but he wants to be represented in power. So I've noticed there's this growing desire in the modern church, especially among young people. They are so sick of words, and I can't blame them. I don't know about you guys, but I can't watch the news anymore. I'm like, um, I'll, I'll find out later. I can't do it. I just get mad all the time because I'm like, you guys, nothing you say means anything, <laughs> right? Both sides of the aisle. I don't care. Nothing you guys are saying means anything because you're not doing, you're just talking. So all you do is talk, 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 and you don't do anything, right? And so my challenge is it's got, it can't be, and I think this younger generation is saying the same thing, it can't just continue to be um, words. It's got to be coming in power. And so I, I found this online, it's interesting, coming from the wisdom camp, what we would call a cessationist um, uh, leader. And if I said this, this guy's name, you would know exactly who I'm talking about. He's all over the internet. He's very famous. But he doesn't believe that the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is for today. But there's an interesting passage when someone asked him a question in a conference about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of the gifts in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He was kind of stuck and he had to answer the question, right? 
So I want to read this, and it's a little bit lengthy, but understand, I want to give the context. This is someone who doesn't believe that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is available today. He doesn't believe in the gifts. He doesn't believe in tongues and interpretation. He doesn't believe in miracles and signs and wonders. He believed that they happened, but he believed that that was for establishing the church. Once the church was established, there's no need anymore for any of these things, which is 100% contrary to the Bible. All you got to do is read it. But let me just read this to you. This is what he said when he was asked the question about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, what is common among many branches of Pentecostalism, the power camp, is not a singular view of baptism in the Spirit. So she was asking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, and Pentecostal churches have various views on what that actually looks like. But this is what he said. But rather a strong emphasis on the experiential nature. He said, what's common among all Pentecostals is that they love experience. Listen to it again. He said, uh, what, what, they, what we see is a strong emphasis on the experiential nature of the Spirit's presence in the life of the believer, right? So this is a guy who doesn't really believe that he does anything anymore. He operates solely through the Word of God. I joke all the time, Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. That's a cessationist viewpoint because the Holy Spirit can only move through Scripture. That's how they think, right? He goes on, he says, people everywhere are hungry for experiential reality. So this is someone coming from a church and a movement that teaches there isn't that. But he said, what we've noticed, even in our own camp, is people are hungry for this, hungry for experiential reality. Not just doctrinal facts or historical facts, which are affirmed with the mind. Nothing wrong with your mind. Bible, the Bible says God comes and he says, come let us reason together, says the Lord. Right? Though your sins be as scarlet, I'm going to make them white as snow. He says, I want to talk to you about my ways, and I want to reason with your mind, but at some point, your mind is going to have to submit to your spirit. And if it doesn't, then your mind is in charge. Your mind is God. Let me put it that way. It is an idol that if you can't get past your own thinking, then you've made your thinking the ultimate experience. He goes on, he says, that's the stereotypical way of thinking about Western Christianity. We have a list of doctrines. We have a list of behaviors. We believe the doctrines, and this gets really interesting. We do the behaviors, and we infer, powerful word, that we belong to God and that something supernatural is happening, but nobody experiences anything. I'm like, do you hear what you're saying? <laughs> right? It's an indictment against the whole concept of a lack of power in the church. And he goes on. He says, that's why Pentecostalism is succeeding the way it does. In other words, he's saying that's why the wisdom camp is quickly being overtaken by the power camp. Because safe no longer means what it used to mean. Because safe has now meant dead. And people are sick of dead. And they want life. They want life and more abundantly. They want to walk in the supernatural. They want to see God move in power. And I don't know about you, but I've never stopped wanting that. And I want more. And thank God there is more in God. He's always got more for us no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. He finishes out, and this is what he says. They're right to say that to have the Holy Spirit is to have a reality that one experiences. In other words, he said, if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, according to the way the Scripture teaches it, you will have life. You will have this experiential reality that people are hungry for. And the, the indictment is, but you're not going to get it here. <laughs> like, he doesn't say that, but that's literally the implication. I get that everybody wants this, but in case you're wondering, you ain't getting it at this church. 
It's not going to happen. Now, that's an indictment against him and against that movement because what they're saying is we, we, have, we have put the experience of our mind and our thinking and our reasoning, reasoning above the revelation of Scripture and what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. So at some point, you have to make a decision as a believer that, you know, I say this all the time, the greatest understanding of theology, the most important, the primary thing about theology, which is the study of God, is to recognize that there is a God and you are not him. You are all, I, I, I would love to say, God, you're like me, but he's not. I'm like him. I can be more like him. I'm, I'm created in his image, even without um, knowing him, I'm still created in his image, but at some point I have to make the decision that I'm going to sit, submit my understanding, my will to his. And it's not arbitrary. I'm not saying submit it to a church. I'm not saying submit it to Pentecostalism or the power camp. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that scripture is very clear. Jesus was very clear. Something is about to happen that's greater than what you've experienced with me here on the earth for three years. It's going to be powerful and you're going to want this. <laughs> so don't leave Jerusalem. I said this last week. Do not leave and go do ministry until you receive power from on high. And we talked about this just briefly. When you're baptized into the body of Christ, we talk about being baptized in the Spirit, baptized of the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit. But the short version is being baptized into Christ, right? That's, that's everybody, when you believe as a Christian, you get baptized into the body of Christ. You are now a Christian. The Spirit of God lives inside of you because he, that's the package. The Bible says we are sealed with his Spirit in that way. But if you notice, there was constantly this picture of there's something more. that there's, There are encounters with God, multiple encounters, numerous places. You see in the book of Acts, um, the Acts chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they start speaking in tongues, right? Unknown languages. Four out of the times, specifically four out of, or three out of the four times that the Bible says they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says they experienced speaking in tongues, prophecy, speaking in tongues. That's three out of four times. Now, in our church, they told us, our, our pastor said, well, that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, my brain's going, nah, dog, uh-uh. Because <laughs> if it was, if you were saying, if that were true, it would have been four out of four times, right? God's not arbitrary in what he does. Now, I, I speak in tongues. I hope you do too. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all you people, <laughs> right? Jesus said, you should speak. We should desire the, the spirit of God. We should desire the best gifts, including prophecy. It goes after these things. There's nothing wrong with tongues, nothing wrong with it at all. The Bible speaks to that and says, if you do this well, this can be an, an experience that when unbelievers see this, it becomes a sign to them to show them, to point them towards God. So I'm not against tongues at all, but I also recognize that people can be full of the Holy Spirit. They can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do every, does everyone speak in tongues? No, they don't. Can they? 100% yes. It's one of the gifts, and you can walk in all the gifts severally as he wills. The Bible speaks to that. So the challenge then is you keep seeing over and over again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So weren't they filled in, in Acts chapter 2? Yes, they were. They were filled again, and the whole place shook. When they were praying and fasting, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the whole building shook. So they were having these encounters over and over and over and over again, because apparently we leak <laughs> right? So getting filled again and getting filled again, that's a wonderful thing. But what if you could just stay filled? And that's what scripture says. Don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be, don't be led by, by drunkenness. Don't be 
uh, consume, don't, be, don't let alcohol grab hold of you and take charge of you, because that's what it'll do, right? It, I'm not saying don't drink, I'm just saying don't be a drunkard, don't do that. And, and scripture says, don't be drunk, right, with wine, but be filled, and the scripture, the, the original language says, be being filled, being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. What's, what's the connection? Drunk is not, you know, wobbling all over the place. It's not the expression. The expression is you're being controlled by that. And he's saying, don't be controlled by that or any other thing Paul speaks to, but be controlled, be led, right, by God's Spirit. Be filled with him to the place of overflowing where he d- doesn't just fill you up. It, you're baptized in him to where it's, he's overflowing out of you into the people's lives around you. So like I said, most people are not anti-Holy Spirit. Really what they are is apathetic. It brings to mind the illustration that John used in Revelation. He said, I would rather you be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. Right? And that's the picture. It's not, about a, it's not a salvation issue. It's just saying, God's, God's just saying, I would rather you pick a side, but don't be lukewarm. That's just not helpful. So Jesus promised a day when the Spirit of God would work in us and he would work through us. So what should this season look like? So what does it mean? I've had this conversation recently. What does it mean to be a mature believer, to, to be a mature disciple? What is the goal? Um, Timothy and Titus, I've mentioned this many, many times. Timothy and Titus, there are passages in those, both of those places that talk about an elder and a deacon as leaders in the church. And it says an elder must be, and then it lists this whole list of things. We have always, for some reason, taken that to mean that only an elder must you know, be these things. So anybody else can get drunk, Anybody else can have more than one wife, you know. Anybody else can lie and cheat and steal, but an elder can't. Is, is that what we think that means? Of course not. Those two passages are saying an elder must be a mature believer. That's all it's saying. You must, if you're going to operate in that role, you must be. Not you should be, but it's okay if you're not. It says you must be this. So what does a mature believer look like? A mature believer looks like Jesus. <laughs> right? That's kind of what we understand. So what does it mean to be a learner? Jesus said in every instance, he calls the disciples and he says, come follow me. That's what a disciple was in their context. A disciple connected to a rabbi, a disciple was a learner. Guess what rabbi meant? Teacher. So it was a disciple and a rabbi, a learner and a teacher. But there was an interesting concept around the way the, the, this worked. Um, there was a, a passage that speaks to this in, in, in the context of what rabbis meant in that culture. And it said that, that disciples would walk in the dust of their rabbi. And what it meant was they would literally be about 10 to 12 steps behind, so much so that when their rabbi was walking and he stirred up the dust, that the dust would get on you. And it was this beautiful picture of that whatever he was doing, you, you experienced it, and it, it, what he did came into you and came upon you. And so Luke 6, 39 says, he spoke a parable of them. This is Jesus. Can the blind lead the blind? It's an interesting phrase. Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. He's saying that what's happening in the world is everybody is professing wisdom. Everybody on YouTube's got the answer. I love the ones that start with, you know, I make $400,000 a month, and you can too. All you got to, I'm like, shut up. I just skip them, of course. It's, if you're making $400,000 a month, why are you still on YouTube? Come on, right? So the point is, the blind are leading the blind everywhere you look. Everybody's professing wisdom, their whole religions, whole cultures. You know, the, the, the goal is get educated, and you know, you got to go to school, and you got to do it. So all, these are all the answers. Everybody has the answers. 
And what we discover, if you live long enough, is the blind's leading the blind. And Jesus is saying it ought not be like that. If you're going to follow somebody, make sure you know where the heck they're going. Right? Make sure you know their character, who they are. Make sure that the person you're following has the goods, or, because if they're blind, you are going to fall in a ditch. Paul said it this way about Christianity. He said, if this isn't true, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, in other words, if the supernatural didn't occur out of all religions, he said, you and I as Christians are the most to be pitied. If this isn't true. And the implication is, but what if it is? And that's a big if, right? So the Holy Spirit's supposed to lead us, not, not just being led by, by, you know, itinerant teachers, but John 16, 13 says it this way, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. This is what I was saying before. The Holy Spirit is going to speak of our rabbi Jesus, right? Jesus' representation of the father on earth is still valid. But how do we get that? Do we just read the book and read it in words, or is it something more powerful? Is the gospel and the good news just a story, or is it something supernatural? And that's what we believe it is. He says, it goes on, he said, he will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Another passage said, he will, he will direct you to me, he will point to me, he will talk about Jesus. He will reveal who Jesus is and what he's done, who Jesus is and who you are in Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. This really interesting concept about gathering information. Because again, the rabbi and the teacher, in our context, we think of going to school and sitting, maybe you're even doing that right now, that you're sitting in a, in a message and you're learning. You're hearing information and you're getting information. Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.2 says it this way. For men will be lovers of themselves. He said in the last day, this is what's going to be the case. And tell me this isn't true. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. I'm like, you have just described the internet. He's just describing people without God, right? The internet's just an easy way to find them all. <laughs> Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And in, the, in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Here's a picture of the last days. All words, no power. Religion, no power. And I'm not talking about other religions. I'm talking about Christianity too. A religion without any power. And can I tell you, the world is sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm hoping that you're sick of it too. But there is an answer. He goes on, verse 7, he says, um, in verse, verse 7 of 2 Timothy 3, he said, this is what happens with all of these people who also have a form of godliness but deny its power. He says, from these people, turn away. In other words, don't, don't get involved. I'm not, he's not saying don't love them, don't be with them, don't show them the gospel, don't be friends with people who aren't unbelievers. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying don't be led by them, right? The blind leading the, the blind. Don't be, if, you're, if somebody's going to lead, let it be you. Don't follow after them. Don't walk in the counsel of ungodliness. Don't do that, Psalm 1. Verse 7, though, says, here's what's happening to them. They're always learning and never, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. So what happens is knowledge, Scripture says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, makes you arrogant. The more you know, the more you think you know. <laughs> right? But love won't do that. Love, something about having this encounter with the God of love, it's not about words, but it begins to move into power. It begins to move in. I don't want to just feel bad that you're sick. I actually want to do something about your sickness. 
right? I don't want to just say, man, you're so broken and you're so busted. I want to actually be able to give you something, right? Remember Jesus, he's getting ready. There's the, the thousands of people are sitting there. It's gotten late in the day. The disciples come to him and say, um, Jesus, it's getting late and, you know, and, and they haven't eaten. And so, you know, we're going to have to do something. He says, you feed them. Remember this? You feed them. But, but Jesus, you feed them. And that's still true today. Jesus is saying, will you stop asking me to do the things in the world that I've given you the power to do? Learn of me. Understand my ways. Understand the movings of the Holy Spirit. Understand how he works and how he wants to work in you. And then when you won't say, Jesus, will you, you'll say, Jesus, thank you that I can. And you'll begin to move in power because it's available to you. The power of God is available to you through his spirit. So discipleship is about becoming like Jesus internally in who we are. I, used, I, I do this a lot. When I, say, when I say scripture says you should be a mature disciple, what does it mean to be mature? Every time, I'm telling you, every time I've asked this question, never a miss, every time I've asked this question, everyone says something about character. What does it mean to be like Jesus? Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. I'm like, no, that's the Ten Commandments. I get it. <laughs> but I'm asking you, what does it mean to be like your rabbi? Right? Not one single time do people say, you know, we ought to be able to heal the sick. We ought to be able to cast out demons. We ought to be able to lay hands on lepers and, you know, they recover. We, we should pray for dead people and they get up. Right? Well, Jesus didn't mean that literally. Yeah, he totally did. Right? So the question isn't, you know, can we? The question is, why aren't we? Right? And one reason is, so often we feel, well, you know, that was Jesus cheated, so he did it as the son of God, or we, we recognize there's no power in the church, so now we create entire theology to fit the fact that there's no power. Except for the Bible says it's an indictment against you if there's no power, right? If you're walking and there's no power, if signs and wonders aren't following you, maybe you're not even a believer, that's really what scripture speaks to. I shared this before, but I was talking with guys, some guys about discipleship, and one of them was from a cessationist camp. And he said, if everything you're saying about this stuff is true, he said, I'm just going to be honest with you. He goes, I've been a Christian for 30-something years. And he said, I might have known one person who is walking in the kind of power that you're talking about. And so I just said, and he said, are you saying that if I'm not doing these things, I'm not a disciple? And I said, I'm saying you're half a disciple. He didn't get the humor. But I tried, right? Because it was getting serious. And I said, I'm not saying that you don't love Jesus. I'm just saying that everything he promised you that you could have, somewhere along the line, somebody lied to you and you believed it, and you're not walking in a gift that he's given you. Now, whose fault is that? It's not Jesus. And, and at now, unfortunately, it, it can be your fault because now you know better. Because now I've presented something to you that you better go study and find out whether I'm telling you the truth or not. Because if, if I am, now that has become a challenge in your own life that I, you're not walking in power. And again, this is not about beating you up. It's not about you not having salvation. It's not about any of those things. What I'm saying is if you are going to be a disciple, a learner, it is, he said you must be like your rabbi, like your teacher. So when we walk in the character and the competencies of Jesus, it's not just the character and the nature and the kindness and the goodness and all those things of who Jesus is, right? It's also what did he do and did he expect you and I to do that as well? And I can tell you from Scripture, just go study it. If his expectation was for you to walk in his character, 
which it is, obviously, all Christians believe this. But the truth is, he also expects you to walk in his power. And he didn't cheat. He did it in the same way that you and I can. He was submitted to the Holy Spirit moving through him. And that's a powerful thing, right? So what does it look like to become like Jesus? Internally in who we are, in our character. Externally in what we do. Are we on mission for Christ? Are we, as a believer, are we reaching people for Jesus who don't know Jesus? Or are we huddling in our little religious camps and going, I thank God that I'm not like all those heathen out there. And if we're honest, a lot of that is what we're doing. Jesus, the Bible says, was a a friend to sinners. He didn't walk in their counsel because they were ungodly, right? He didn't get caught up in the things that they did because it was ungodly. But he loved people, even if they didn't know Christ. Even, God forbid, they dropped the F-bomb every once in a while. He was okay. He wasn't okay with it. (laughs) Some of you guys are going to read too much into this. It wasn't, sin wasn't okay. But Jesus loved people and he was coming to provide a sacrifice for their sin. And if he couldn't love them, if he couldn't show them love, they're never going to accept, accept the sacrifice of his life for their sin. Right? You understand? And so we as believers, God wants us to be friends with sinners. As we talk about mission, the challenge is how are you going to share Christ with people who, who don't know Christ if you don't know any people who don't know Christ? How many friends do you have who are not believers? What kind of friendship do you have? Do you have an unhealthy friendship with people who don't know Christ in the sense that you're walking in the same ungodly character that they are? Because that's not helpful. Or are you being in their life, but you're kind of standoffish, and you're just like, I don't want to participate in anything, so I don't really like them. I'm just kind of, you know, they're the person I check out at Walmart or whatever. No, no, you have to develop friendship because Jesus is saying, I have given you power for mission. We talked about this last week. The power's for the mission. It's not just for you to soak in all the power. You can, and it's awesome, and I love it, and it's for one another. It's great, but it's not just for that. So being like Jesus means walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, what does Jesus look like? These are all character references. Look at this. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. He's saying that if you walk in the things of the Spirit, something begins to happen. You begin to fulfill all of the law. So Jesus was saying, if you get a changed heart, if you become a believer and you get a new heart and a new nature, you will do these things because of your new nature in the same way that you sinned because you had a sin nature. You will stop sinning because the sin nature no longer belongs to you. You still have patterns in your life that are sinful. The Bible says that we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you think that happens? Reading and understanding, I love those things. But God will come in power and he'll do an amazing things in us if we just lean into it. So, Jesus, he's the, the picture of the fruit of the Spirit. He wants that in your life, but that's not enough. So he wants us also to be connected to the source of the power. And this is kind of where we're, the, the, the gist of where I'm going today. Without relationship with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without relationship with with the character of Jesus, you're not going to have the character of Jesus. We get that, right? It kind of makes sense. It's kind of like um, <clears throat> sometimes I remember putting a, a piece of toast in the toaster on my on my counter and turned the little thing on. It goes tick, 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 tick. So I walk around waiting on my toast to be done, and I come back, it goes ding, right? And I come and I open it up, and, and the toaster's like, it's lied to me is what it's done. It, it was... It, had, it actually act like they had power, but it didn't have any power because I didn't have toast. I still had bread. There was no transformation. 
You know what was wrong? Anybody want to guess? It wasn't plugged in. So I, you know what the answer was? I didn't, rail, I, didn't, I didn't rail against the machine. Stupid machine, right? I just plugged it into the power source. The machine was the machine. But when I plugged it in the power source, all of a sudden now it had power. <laughs> and I did the whole thing again, and I came back, and there was transformation because I no longer had bread, I had toast. Maybe God wants us to move from being bread to toast. That's a whole sermon series all itself, right? So here's what's interesting about this. I'm going I'm to give you a picture. Scripture says this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Let me say that again because it's really, really, really clear. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God why? For their foolishness to him. Are the things of the Spirit foolishness to you? If they are, you're a natural man. Still a man. You can still be saved even. But if you're a natural man, you are not going to understand the things of the Spirit. He goes on, he says, For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What he's saying, we talked about that, you know, I showed you the picture of, of, the, of the mind, the will, and the emotions, your soul, your body on one side, and your spirit on the other, and the mind, will, and emotions. And most of us live out of the mind, will, and emotions. And what Jesus is saying is, what Paul's saying through the scripture, he's saying, you cannot walk in the things of the Holy Spirit if you think naturally. If you are only uh, set in your ways to the things of the mind, the will, and the emotion. You are never going to experience the supernatural. Not experience, you're never going to walk in it yourself. There will be no power in you. You know why? Because the power you have is your mind. It's your, it's, it's your own ability to do, trying to do the things that God, God does, and you can't do it outside of being plugged into the source. So listen to what the Bible says about this. This is 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He says, For our gospel didn't come to you in word only. In other words, it wasn't just philosophy and a good philosophy from people's minds, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Then 1 Corinthians 4.18. Now some are puffed up. This is that scripture I mentioned before. Some are puffed up as though I weren't coming to you. They're arrogant with their knowledge. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Why? Because the power, sorry, for the kingdom of God is not in words, but it's in power. It doesn't mean we don't use words. But if the, if the words we use don't have some power behind them, if there's no demonstration of the Spirit of God in power, there will be no transformation in your life. And there will be no transformation in anybody else's life as well. So knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. I shared that before, 1 Corinthians 8.1. We know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. What he's saying is it's not just enough to know about God. Because the scripture speaks to knowing God is the same word that we would use for knowing our wives in intimacy. It's a King James picture. You, when God says, I want to know you, he's saying, I want to be intimate with you. Don't take that further than what I'm saying. It's easy to do, right? And the reason we do that is because what we do, go back to this is we try to make God like us instead of making us like him. So we turn it into a, some sexual thing when God's saying sex is a representation of something altogether different. It's a picture of something. But see what we do even in our world right now? We make our identity about our sexuality. That tells me we're getting it wrong. We understand that. So let me just give you a couple of benefits of what it means to walk in the intimacy with the Spirit, and then we're going to close. <laughs> Don't worry. 
I'll get it if he does it. <laughs> Heidi, ba- Heidi Baker, who was a missionary in Mo- Mo- is a missionary in Mozambique, is seeing signs and wonders and miracles bigger than anything you can imagine. Just go read some of her stories. It's unbelievable the things that God is doing through her and the work that, that she's involved in. This is something that she said. She said, all fruitfulness flows from intimacy. My wife quotes this all the time. All fruitfulness flows from intimacy. You know, we joke, we used to joke all the time with, with the teenagers because, you know, the teenagers are like awkward. Karen and I were in youth ministry forever. And so we would joke with the kids and we would say, they said, all you ever talk about is Jesus and sex. And that was true. And the reason why is because sex was the culture that they were being born into in the world. It was talked about all the time. Some of their parents didn't mention it. We didn't get explicit. We just said, hey, there's a right way. There's God's way of understanding this, and there's the world's way. Let, let go of the world's way and grab hold of God's way because it's going to do, do you well, right? So we say this, and one of the jokes we would say is, they'd say, ooh, you're talking about sex. I'm like, dude, your parents had sex. And they're like, I cannot believe you said that. And we're like, we, we know your parents had sex at least once. You know why? It, you know, they're not real smart, but they figured it out. They're like, because I'm here. Fruitfulness comes from intimacy. Right? <laughs> that's, that's what we see. So she said that, and then she said this. Listen, to the degree that we are united with the heart of Jesus, God will bring fruit in our lives. To the degree that you are in love with him, you will be fruitful. Listen to this. She said it this way. He, Jesus, is looking for union, not occasional worship. Not Sunday morning things, right? So why? So that our nature is transformed. It's, it's what Jesus said. God said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. I'm going to know you and you're going to know me. He said, it's going to be intimate. That's what I'm after because the law kept you far away. You would come, you were fearful. You would come, you would offer sacrifices. You would walk away from the temple and forget that you were connected. And and, in the New Testament, he said, you become the temple, right? The Holy Spirit lives in you. How many of you guys came to church this morning? None of you did because the church can't come to the church. You are the church. You are the church in a meeting on a Sunday morning. And the point behind that is we, we, we use words and we get them all mixed up. And Jesus is saying, you are the temple. I'm living inside of you, right? So let me kind of wrap this up with this. To be fruitful, you're going to see a couple things happen. One is fruitfulness. One, the other is boldness. This is Peter and John healing and preaching. He says in Acts 4, 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked. This is Peter and John healed this man, and now they're bringing him before him, and they're going to chew him out. And he says, by what power or by what name have you done this? So they're saying, how are you walking in this power? Right? Because later on it says um, that no one could deny that there was a miracle done because the guy was in his 40s when it happened. So I guess something about being in your 40s and change comes, you know that's a miracle, I guess, right? So he goes on, he says, Acts 4, 10, let it be known to you all, this is Peter and John speaking, and to all the people of Israel, but that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. They didn't say, Jesus, you do it. Go back and read it. You know what they did? The Bible says Peter and John healed this man. They didn't ask Jesus to do it. You know why? Because they'd done that one time before on that mountainside with those thousands of people Lord, feed them. And Jesus said, you feed them. And they're like, we can't. We can't go. There's no Arby's nearby, right? And Jesus said, well, let me show you how to do this. So he takes the fishes and the loaves. He, he does a supernatural miracle. And he says, 
Now, you see what I did? The expectation is what I'm doing, you're going to do. And so we see these miracles happen in the disciples' lives. Why? Because Jesus said it was supposed to be normal. It was supposed to be personalized. It was supposed to happen. Why? Because you are on mission. What's the mission for? What are you doing these signs and wonders and miracles for? So that you can have a big name and be on, on the internet and have a big church and drive nice cars and fly in, in, in beautiful airplanes? No. No. But people try to do that in the name of Jesus. What he's saying is this is so that it will demonstrate. Because they ask him, what power and in what name did you do this? And he knows that those two are connected, right? They knew that those two were connected, and this is what they did. He says, let it be known to you all that we did this by the name of Jesus. In other words, we did this in his name. We didn't ask him to do it because he'd already given us authority. He said that in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me, so now go and make disciples. The expectation is how you make disciples is not just in words, but it's in power. Acts 4.13 finishes it out. Now, when they saw, when these Sadducees and Pharisees saw the boldness of Peter and John. You want to know one of the things that happens from a place of intimacy with the Holy Spirit? You get bold. You're not afraid to pray for the sick. You're not afraid for, for, what if I get it wrong? Who cares? Who cares if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? What happens when you pray for somebody and they do get healed? Have you thought about that? Do you know 100% of the people you don't pray for aren't going to get healed? Well, only a few people I prayed for got, got healed. Awesome. Get better at it. I don't know what to tell you, but at least when you pray for people, some people get healed. And that's where we are now today in the church. God's saying, I want to increase this. How? How do we see more of the power and the intimacy of God? And the answer is we have to know the Holy Spirit. We have to walk in his wisdom, walk in his power. We have to be willing to take steps of faith. Why? Because when you do, boldness comes. They said, because we knew God was going to do something powerful, they stepped out. And you see this constantly. The other thing that happens is you become missional. You, you remember that the power that you've been given. Remember in Acts chapter 2, right, the power of God comes on them. Back it up to Acts chapter 1 and, and all the way back in the Gospels. And Jesus is saying, before you go out and do anything, before you go out and move in the mission that I've given you, wait for something. What? Wait for power. Why? Because the gospel is not just in words. It's in power. And that's the picture we're trying to paint. So, let me finish with this one scripture. This is Acts chapter 19, and this is going to drive it home, I hope. It says in Acts 19.11 that God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. I want you to think about that for a second. It could have just said, God worked miracles by Paul, by the hands of Paul. But it didn't, did it? What does it say? Like, is miracles not unusual enough? I mean, I would think it would be. And Paul says, now, I mean, uh, the writer of Acts says, now God worked unusual miracles. How? Because he kept saying, Jesus, come do miracles. Jesus is like, I did that. And then I told you, and now it's your turn. And so now he's doing it. He's working unusual miracles by his own hands. Now, is it just his hands? No. What is he doing? He's co-laboring in the power of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Listen to this story because it's one of the best stories you're ever going to hear. How, what kind of unusual miracles? So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. That, that it was so powerful in Paul's life that the manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit were getting on things, not just people. Have anybody seen on, on, on 
uh, television, television preachers, you know, order, I, I'm going to pray for this handkerchief and you order it. And just a small gift of whatever your best gift can be, $1,000 or more, right? So listen, just because someone's abusing these things doesn't mean there's not a proper use for them. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you see people doing dumb things in the name of Jesus. Don't quit doing things in the name of Jesus. Just don't do dumb things, right? Set, it, set the, the, the thing back in balance. He goes on, so that even unusual miracles like handkerchiefs or aprons were brought and placed on people's bodies and they were healed. Remember, Peter is walking somewhere and his shadow fell on a sick person and his shadow healed the sick person. Did his shadow, did a lack of light heal somebody? And the answer is, of course not. You know what happened? They said, if Peter gets close enough to me, like one, one of the, 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 the woman reached out and touched Jesus' garment, so she believed, she, she remembered the prophecy, right, about who he was, that if she got close to him, she touched him, that his power would jump on her, and it did. And Jesus realized something came out of me. Like she, she drew on something. He wasn't even trying to do it. And the Holy Spirit was so, he was so full of the Holy Spirit that it came out and went into her, right? And here's the beautiful picture. So Peter's walking and his shadow heals somebody. Their faith had arisen to the point where they said, we've seen this guy do so many signs and wonders and miracles that if he just gets close to us, even if his shadow, something in their head said, my faith is so big that he doesn't even have to touch me. He can just get close. Remember the Roman centurion that Jesus, he heals his servant, and he says, I will come to the servant and heal him. And the Roman centurion says, you don't have to come and touch him. I don't, your, your power is way beyond the physical and the natural where you have to touch people. Remember that? It's powerful. So he goes on, he says, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. The normal Christian life was people were healed and demons were cast out. Is that happening in your life as a believer? When's the last time you cast out a demon? Have you ever cast out a demon? Do you even believe demons exist or is that some story that the Bible made up? I can tell you some stories. I'm not gonna, but I could, I promise, about demons being cast out. But listen to the rest of this. Then, somebody saw this, then, some itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves. That's a really powerful phrase. Took it upon themselves <laughs> to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I love this. One, one of my favorite passages, we adjure you by the name of Christ. I'm like, I just like that word adjure, right? But this is this version. We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. We know about him. So we're telling you as a demon, you get out because of the name that Paul preaches. His name's Jesus. Listen to this. It says, also there were seven sons of Sceva doing the same thing, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know. Let me just pause. Listen to those two phrases. Jesus I know, I love that one. I'm like, you could just leave all the rest of it out but he doesn't on purpose. Why? He wants us to understand it wasn't just Jesus. It was someone who knew Jesus. What was he saying? He's saying there's an intimacy that Jesus had with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, that allowed the power of God to flow through him. Paul had a relationship by the Spirit with Jesus because Paul never met Jesus in the natural. He had a supernatural experience with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, right? And then he was, the Bible says that, that before he went off and did anything, that one of the brothers came and prayed for him to be filled with the Spirit. 
He has an encounter with Jesus, and then he prays for him to be filled with the Spirit. Something's going on here, right? Listen to the rest of this. All the, and the evil spirit answered said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So this is the experience without the power. Naked and wounded. This is the church. Naked and wounded. And my heart breaks because I'm this too. I want more of God. I want signs and wonders. Not because I'm so, so enamored with signs and wonders. I've seen so many, I can't, the testimonies I can bring to you about the power of God. But those are stories in the past. And the people I'm meeting now don't need a story from the past with words. They need a powerful encounter with the risen Jesus. How are they going to do that? I want to show you a picture. It's a simple picture I put up here, and, and it's, it's just a graphic of how the world wants to go. If you guys will put that picture up for me. And it's a picture of how God wants to speak to the, the, the power of God working in people's lives. This guy over here on the right, the Bible says he's a natural man. He cannot receive the things of the Spirit. He can't even know God. Karen talks about th this morning, there's a measure of faith so that people can know God, right? Even Paul was introduced to Jesus on the road, right? And then he was introduced to, to who Jesus was and continued to follow him through other believers, right? And, and one of, in the sense that they prayed and the, he, was, he was given the power in the, in the, in the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit. But this is what happened. God wants to talk to people. He wants to talk to people who are broken. That person at the coffee house, that person that you work with that is so broken, so full of anger that they're finding causes that are not causes at all. They, they make you so angry because they're so their mind's so broken that they think, they think that wrong is right and right is wrong. And it drives you crazy. They're sleeping around. They're doing all kinds of things. It's all the stuff that in your new nature as a believer, it drives you crazy because it's not something you want to be a part of. And yet God says, I want you to be friends with sinners. I want you to love them. Why? Because this is what happens to a person who does know God. They can hear from God on that person's behalf. This is the gospel. This is, God said, I'm going to not just tell you a story, I'm going to demonstrate my power. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to give you a new nature. How? Through words? No. Through the power of the gospel that comes through words, yes. But it comes in a demonstration of God's wisdom and his power through the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? Then he says, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. How? That Jesus is in the earth reconciling sinners, not holding their sin against them. So Jesus ends one part of his ministry. He, he speaks to this person, and, and, he, and he's starting to heal them. And they, they challenge the leaders of the Jerusalem, challenge him and say, who are you to say this person's sins are forgiven? I can't believe you would say that. Who do you think you are? And this is Jesus' response. This is what he says. He said, so that you would know that the Son of Man has power, the Son of God has power on earth to forgive sin. He looks at this man, he says, pick up your bed and walk away. And in right in, now here is the big, right, high noon. <laughs> and this, this guy, all of a sudden, who's been sick forever, gets up off his, off his bed, stands up perfectly whole, and walks away. And Jesus' life was full of these stories. Why? So he could just impress you with his abilities? No. 
so that he would show you this is not, this gospel is not just words that I can forgive you. I will show you through supernatural power. Why? Because the only way you're going to get a new heart and a new nature is through a supernatural transformation. And if you receive that, Jesus said, now I have entered you into the same mission that I am on, and I'm going to endue you with power so that you can do the mission. But can I just say this? So many of us are distracted and focused on our own lives. The problems, the brokenness, the hurt. I need healing. I get all those things. Those things are still true regardless. But at some point, Jesus said, I want to give you the ministry of reconciliation. Karen said this during the prayer time. It is very easy for me to have faith to you. It's often very difficult for me to have faith for myself, which is why we need each other. I need you to be full of the Holy Spirit. You need me to be full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're going to run into things. The enemy's going to encroach on your life. He's going to try to do things, put sickness on you. He's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to destroy you. And the only answer is not going to be words. It's not going to be philosophy. It's not going to be nice, beautiful little scriptures that we put up on the internet. It's either going to be in power or it's not going to be at all. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick of the powerless, especially in my own life. I'm sick of being powerless. And God's promise to us is, in relationship to his, his spirit, in this intimacy, fruitfulness is born. The signs and the wonders, the healings. Remember the, the nine gifts of the spirit? It, it's literally um, gifts, plural, of healings, plural. There's a bunch of ways God wants to do it. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that. And I'm hoping that you are too. So we've gotten an invitation over a month or two ago. There was revivals going all over the place, and there were, Greg came down, and there were word over us, and there was a promise. Hey, guys, there's an invitation to gather oil, to receive from the Holy Spirit, to begin to move in power for your own life and for the lives of others. That invitation is still available to you and I. What will you do with what God is saying? That's the question. What is he saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? Will you stand with me? My hope is, this morning, not that you would feel condemned or beaten up. That's not, that's not God at all. Jesus had no problem challenging people, but he challenged them because they could step up to the challenge. And that's the promise that God has for you. If you're sitting here going, man, I, I, I've never heard anything about this. I didn't even know there, whether there be a Holy Spirit or not. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, I've walked in some power, but that was in the past. Or maybe you're saying, I'm one of those people that are supremely distracted by all the pain and the heartache, by politics, by the world, by pleasures of this world, whatever's gotten a hold of you, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying to you is it's time to refocus, to begin to take intentional time to be with God, to wait on the Lord. The Bible said, again, in, in the book of Acts, he said, don't go do anything in mission. Don't, don't go do it until you receive power. Why? Because if you do, people are going to look around all over the place and, go say, and they're going to say, those are just words. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the words. I'm ready for the power. So I want to pray over us. And I want to invite you to do this. Just, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. But as I pray, I would love for you to just open your hands as an indication. Not just, it's not magic. There's no incantation. There's no way that that's going to work. God wants to come. He wants to move in your life. And he wants to come and he wants to fill you with the spirit to overflowing. So I want you to just, if you're, if you're willing, just open your hands. And as, I'm just going to pray and say, Lord, would you fill us anew? Fill us afresh with your spirit. Will you move in us through power? Will you change the way I think about who you are? Will you transform my mind? So Holy Spirit, we just come and we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for moving in your church, Lord. Thank you for the willingness. Thank you for the challenge, Lord, to teach us about Jesus, that his, his reminder was that he was going to go away so that you could come and move through your church. 
So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We welcome your power. We welcome your wisdom, your understanding. Lord, we welcome your ways and recognize that they're different than ours. Lord, we welcome the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, you said to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we eagerly desire the gifts that you've given, Lord, that would do work in our own hearts. And Lord, it would, it would cause us to be able to move in power in the lives of other people. Holy Spirit, we long for more of you. So we just open our hearts right now and say, Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us anew, fill us afresh, Lord, with your power, Lord, with your love, with your wisdom and understanding, Lord, with your kindness, with your grace, with your goodness. Help us understand what the cross was about and what it was for, Lord, to transform our lives and make us into this powerhouse called the church. So Jesus, we just say yes. Fill us anew, Lord. Fill us here, fill us now. In the days coming as we go into more and more of this, Lord, we open our hearts and say thank you for the invitation to come and, and seek for oil, to gather oil, Lord, for the, for the work that we have, for the ministry that you've given us, to be reconcilers of people back to their God. Lord, move in power. Mm. Holy Spirit, move in power. Jesus, you challenge us because you love us. Lord, will we rise to the occasion? Will we rise to the challenge that you brought us? Lord, it's not difficult. You've shown us how to just begin to spend time with you and invite your presence more and more into our lives. Lord, let boldness come that I would be unafraid to pray for sick, pray for the sick, Lord, to pray for the broken, to love on people who are often unlovable. Lord, I can't do that in my own strength or my own power but I can if you come and work through me. So Lord, I believe you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer this morning, again, we, we do what we believe. So if you need prayer and breakthrough in your life, man, we would love to minister to you up here at the front. We'll have our team ready to pray for you. Come on up and let us minister to you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks, guys.